few weeks ago, I shared that I have an overly active mind. I have too many things on my mind on Sunday morning, and I'm learning to cut things out that I want to say and lay things aside. And so sometimes a lot of information starts trying to work its way back in, you know, in the schedule that we have, you know, there's a certain time we need to be done in first service. And uh, so sometimes I have three ideas in my mind. I put up a five so you guys can see how that works. I'll have three ideas and five are here and all these things are going on. But there's a few things I did want to say that I didn't mention is that this Thursday we do a Monday Thursday service which is commemorating the time of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and the Last Supper. And we're going to have that service 630. We will have communion together. And we're going to talk about Christ serving us and how we are to serve and have love one for another. And then we're going to have our Tenebrae service, our Good Friday service at 630 on Friday. And we will go through the sayings of Christ at the cross. And it's done in such a way that though we call it Good Friday, it was a bad thing when people watched it. Crucifixion was horrible. And so we leave and things are dark as the disciples dispersed. And then there's a question, what next? And Saturday, they're just thinking, what's going on? They're hiding. And then on Sunday, it's the Resurrection Sunday, and we get to experience that hope together as God's people. And I want you to know that Easter Sunday is an awesome time to invite a family member or friend. And we're going to have a breakfast at 8, and we will still have first and second service classes in the middle, which we really encourage and uh, continuing on from there. If you're inviting a family member or friend, make sure they know we're going back to one service at the end of the month here so they don't show up at the wrong time. But here it is. I wanted to share something with you. Have you ever like seen a commercial for a movie and you're like, man, I want to see that? And then you don't see it, you know, and then years later you're like, oh, I forgot about that movie. Uh, there was a movie that came out in 2016 called Risen. And I remember watching the commercial for it and I was like, I want to see that movie. Uh, it, it's about the, the resurrection of Jesus, and actually, I'll, I'll share a little bit about, about the story. And Christian movies can go either way. One moment you have a really good Christian movie, you're like, that's awesome. Next minute you're like, man, I could have done better with a camcorder, you know, my own camera. The budget's kind of low, you're like, eh, there's still a good message, you know, you're kind of wrestling through those things. But this movie is really good. And, and I was watching it, and as it began, um, it's a story of a Roman tribune who is searching. He's been charged to find the body of Jesus. And it begins, and as it's beginning, he's in battle, and they're fighting. The Roman soldiers are moving against a Jew, a set of Jews or insurrectionists. And Clavius kills Barabbas. And I was like, how does that make sense? I was a little confused at the beginning because some of these movies mess up the history. If you remember the movie of Noah that came out you know, like around 2000 or 99, they had Lot living in the time of Noah. So you just never know what you're going to get. And then I realized as I watched it, oh, the crucifixion has already happened. And Barabbas has been released and he's up to his evil ways again. And as it goes forward, it, it shows the story of uh, this man is searching for the body of Christ. And I was thinking about that. It made me think about Barabbas. We really don't talk about Barabbas a lot. We see Christ, the innocent one, is put to death. And Barabbas, this murderer, this insurrectionist, is freed. And you're left with what happens next. And in the story, they obviously have him him die. And that's what I want to talk about today, is that Christ the innocent is put to death, 
But the legitimate criminal is set free. And there's a message in that for us today. And so I want you guys to hear about that. And as we do, we're going to get into Luke chapter 23. I'm going to share a few verses. But as we get into the Scripture, we want to say this together as we've been doing. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. And teaches us to do what is right. That is the word of the Lord. That's what we're getting into today. So Luke chapter 23, we'll have it on the screen. A few things to share here. And um, thank you, Mary, for reading the scripture. As you heard there, we hear some of the Palm Sunday, Hosanna. And then you see a transition of how the people respond So Luke chapter 23, verses 18 through 25, But they cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I, found, or I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, mob violence. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's pray together. This morning, God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time to gather. We are the church, but we don't just go to church. We are called out by you from the world to come together, to gather together in your name, to worship you, uh, to make disciples, to learn about you, what it means to follow Jesus and to live a holy life. And as you told the disciples, teaching them everything or to be obedient to everything I have commanded. And today we've gathered as your disciples and we pray that you fill us fresh anew with your spirit. And Lord, wherever someone is in their walk, we pray that you draw them closer to you. As we learn in the scripture, you said that when you are lifted up on the cross, you will draw all men to yourself. And I pray that you are doing that through our church as we work to reach Casper for you. And Lord, I pray that you give us spiritual ears to hear the kingdom message. And Lord, that we have spiritual eyes to see the kingdom as we are born again. And I pray for those who are struggling in sin and temptation, Lord, that they resist. Lord, that they say no to the world and that they say yes to you. Because you are the Holy One who has come into the world to die for our sins, to to forgive us, to set us free that we may be free indeed. Bless your people today and bless your words as they go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now church, it's amazing to think about 
the triumphant entry, which it wasn't called that at the time. Obviously, the cross was a horrible thing, and now we call it Good Friday because of the good that came out of it. At the time, Christ is entering Jerusalem. It was not called the triumphal entry. It was just Christ is arriving, and all those who believed and knew that he was the Messiah, they were excited about this time. And it's recorded in the book of Matthew. It says that the crowds, crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Um, and, you know, we talk about that. We, we say those things. In fact, I think we should have palm branches in here. We should be excited about that as well. We should say that together. Let's say it together. Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus actually said this is prophecy being fulfilled in this moment. If the people didn't say it, Someone would, or something would, the rocks would actually cry out to God, cry out to their creator. And then he has this intimate time as he's entered, and we've, we've discussed a lot of what has happened at this point. But he, had, he moves on into this privacy with the disciples, and he establishes the Lord's Supper, and everything is going well. I mean, it is a picture of when you come to Jesus and you believe in Him and you're excited about Him, and then there's going to be a transition. Um, there's going to be some battles you have to face, some temptations you have to fight through, um, some resistance in the world. Uh, so the betrayal would come. Then the arrest of Jesus. The disciples scatter for the most part. Then the denial of Peter, which we talked about. Jesus would be mocked and abused by the guards. They did something that was called hot hand. They blindfolded Jesus to mock him. And the soldiers would, would hit him and say, prophesy, tell us which one of us hit you, uh, to mock him. And obviously Jesus knew which one did, but he didn't give in to what they said. And Jesus is led through a quick and illegal trial by the standards of the Jews' legal system. All of this of what has happened to Jesus is illegal. Um, then another group, as one is shouting, Hosanna, the followers. The Jews have rallied another group, and they are shouting, crucify him. This is within a week's time. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and now they're shouting, crucify him. Now we might could identify with Jesus when he's been betrayed and denied and mocked, but few could identify with being completely innocent being arrested and brought through an illegal trial. Um, it's hard for us to even grasp those things, even though there are illegal trials that still happen. Now, my brother does an apologetist kind of a, a seminar where he talks about truth, uh, evidence for the faith, the validity of Scripture. He talks about the evidence for the resurrection. And one of the seminars he does actually goes through the points of the illegal trial they led Jesus through. Everything was illegal. Uh, there was 12 things that people have gathered together. I'm going to give you a list here, a shorter list. I've just picked nine of the 12, and there's other lists out there as well. Um, but there's an illegal trial that happens, and I want you to see some of this. The rest of Jesus was illegal as it was done secretly by night with no formal charge of any crime by those who were to be his judge. He's just arrested all of a sudden. Uh, the indictment against Jesus was illegal because the judges themselves brought up an unprovable charge against Jesus without any prior testimony by witnesses. The trial of Jesus began illegally before sunrise in order that no one could testify on his behalf. It's a speedy trial. Let's rush it through. No one will be able to speak on his behalf. 
the Sanhedrin was illegally convened to try a capital, a capital offense on a name or on a day before the annual Sabbath. This is illegal to their own standards. The trial of Jesus was illegal because it was concluded in one day. They actually had a process and a time frame. The indictment against Jesus was false and its use illegal because it was founded upon Jesus' uncorroborated statement. The court pronounced sentence on Jesus with no supporting evidence whatsoever. The condemnation of Jesus was illegal because the merits of the defense were not considered. Um, he doesn't even testify. Um, the con condemnation of Jesus, part of the Sanhedrin, was illegal because um, those who would have voted against the condemnation of Jesus were not there. It was only part of the Sanhedrin. And the court illegally switched the charges against Jesus from blasphemy to sedition. A trial is being held, and they, switch, they just switch the charges all of a sudden, and this is done before Pilate. The point is, is that Jesus is completely innocent. There was no justice. It was a mockery of justice, if anything. They were trying to do it behind closed doors, in the dark, and push this thing aside. An innocent man was condemned by mob violence. And that's what happens when a dead religion that claims righteousness colludes and collides with a government that claims justice but is very corrupt. So what we want to see today, church, the first thing I want you to see, we know this generally, but we need to see the specifics. Um, the innocent is condemned on our behalf. Verses 21 through 22 says, But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving Death, I will therefore punish and release him. Even the punishment that Pilate did by scourging Jesus was wrong. He just punished him just to appease the people. And here it is. Jesus, as we know, is God in the flesh. He is perfect. He is without sin. He is the Lamb of God without spot or wrinkle, meaning, obviously, no sin. He is innocent. And Pilate, we see today, confirms this. I have found in him no guilt-deserving death. In history, this is recorded, what Pilate has said. Jesus is innocent. Even a centurion at the cross of Jesus, Luke 23, 47, who saw what had taken place, he praised God. This is Jesus on the cross, a Roman centurion, who was over crucifixion, who's watched many come and die and suffer on the cross, is watching what's happening to Jesus, and he says, certainly this man was innocent. This was not some average criminal. There's something different about Jesus. Paul confirms this, 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ has gone to the cross for you. He became sin. He knew no sin. He did this for you. He is perfect and holy and without sin. And here it is, church. We are sinful. And Jesus, the innocent one, has taken our place. It would take God's blood, and, and the apostle Peter calls his blood precious. It is the precious blood of Jesus that is poured out for us on the cross. Apostle Peter says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, and it is a one-time act that Christ has done this. The righteous for the unrighteous. The innocent for the guilty that he might bring us to God 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus, the righteous, died for the unrighteous. And why did He do it? It says it here. To bring us to God. I love that. It is a reminder of why Jesus went to the cross, and it's not just about forgiveness, though forgiveness is in this. But it is a mission to rescue the people who are lost in their sins that we might be brought into relationship with God. And here it is again, the guilty man. The innocent is killed. The guilty man goes free. I want you to see this, verse 25. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to them. So in this, if you would scroll forward back there, the guilty man goes free, Barabbas. Um, there's not a lot in Scripture about Barabbas. You know, Jesus, the righteous, who did life. Jesus did life with people on the fringes. Like he pursued them. He went after them, and the Pharisees didn't like it. They would say that he is a friend of sinners. But he was willing to go after those who society and religion had pushed away. So he's going out to do life with them, and he reserved his kindest words for those who were in sin, by the way. Now, he never said, go and continue in your sin. He would say, go and sin no more. But he was kind to them. And he had very harsh and abrasive words to religious people. And, and, and as a pastor, I deal with those things today as well. And sometimes I can be abrasive, but it is for your good because I watch a drift in different directions. There's always a drift back into sin, and there's a drift to become religious or holier than thou. And I try to speak to both. Um, and Jesus would do life with the guilty and the sinful people. He is led through this illegal trial again. And he is counted among the criminals. He is rejected. He came into his own, the Jews, and the Jews did not receive him. He made the world, and the world did not know him. Isaiah says this, 53, 12, Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So Jesus is numbered, meaning it is recorded, and he is placed among evil men, as a criminal. They treated Jesus, the, the one who walked on water, the one who healed the sick, the one who actually healed people with the worst diseases, made the blind to see, the lame to walk again, raised the dead, is led through this trial by guilty people, evil people, for us, he is crucified with the transgressors. Of course, the prophecy, he would be numbered with the transgressors, the criminals. And we know about the two criminals he is crucified with. They mocked him both at first. Then one realizes this man is different. This is Christ. He, um, and then he started telling the other one, we shouldn't speak this way about him. Remember me. He says, this day you will be with me in paradise. We hear a lot about the two criminals but there was another criminal the criminal Barabbas who was set free and it's interesting thinking about Barabbas here and the, the passion of Christ that makes him wild you know it's interesting to watch all of that well what a wonderful portrait here in this picture to see Jesus in chains numbered with the criminals here 
And we don't know a lot about Barabbas other than what is uh, recorded, that he was an insurrectionist. That means he would fight as a, a Jew zealot to, to uh, fight Roman uh, authority. But he was a murderer. He actually killed people. He is completely guilty. There's not a lot after this happens. You know, he goes off in, into history and not a lot is said at this point. Um, but this is where the story of the gospel comes together. It is a perfect picture of God's grace. You know, we read through this stuff. We come to uh, Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday and Holy Week and all our things that we do. And we miss some of the important things that we need to truly grasp. Is that there's these portraits of grace throughout the Scriptures. This is a picture of the good news of the Gospel of Jesus. It is good news because we are saved from our guilty sentence. That we are sinners. That Christ died for us. We see that in this very trial. This is the very reason Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is His mission. This is the mission of the church. Church is not just a social club. It is a mission where we gather with the family of God, with Christians, that we learn about Jesus, and we go out and tell other people about Jesus. We come to classes to learn about Jesus, to build relationships with the family of God, that we may go out and be missionaries. And we've kind of messed up the term missionary over the years. It was always like foreign missions. We send missionaries away. And I fund that and give money to the local church to do those things. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. You are called to go and tell people about Jesus. That is the mission. That's what we are in the business of doing. Jesus, again, the innocent one. In church, we are or were the guilty ones. The wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Christ comes to give us the gift of life. And we miss a lot of this. We spend most of our lives trying to hide our sin. And I want you to know, hidden scandals on earth are open scandals in heaven. Jesus is not caught off guard. God and the angels are watching what's going on and, and there's things that instead of dealing with the sin that Christ came to die for, we try to hide it. And I think deep down inside, we do know that we are guilty. And we're trying to find another way around the sentence. And there's only one way to deal with that and that is through Christ. But again, deep down, we feel it. We know there's something that's not right. Years ago in a San Diego Superior Court, there were two men who were on trial for armed robbery. And an eyewitness took the stand and the prosecutor moved carefully to ask his questions. So you say you were at the scene when the robbery took place. Yes. And you saw a vehicle leave at a high rate of speed. Yes. And did you observe the occupants? Yes. Two men. And then the prosecutor boomed. Are those two men present in the court today? And to their own demise, the two men raised their hands. They put their hands up and they're like, oh, they didn't realize what they were doing. And we, I want you to know, that is a real story, by the way. Um, they doom themselves. But it is a, a true story that tells us that deep down inside, even if we plead not guilty in the court, we know if we have done the wrong. 
And God knows that we have done wrong. Deep down inside, we know that we are guilty, but we try to run, we try to hide uh, the sinful issues. But that's why many people miss God's love. Because they kind of want to believe in God, but they don't deal with the deep heart sinful issues. I kind of want Jesus, but I don't want a meaningful relationship. I don't want this blood thing. I want forgiveness without a transformed life. I had to tell a young man years ago who always called me during a crisis. I used to come to the church and, uh, and then every time there was something bad, he texted me or called, I need to talk to you. And he came to my doorstep one day and I chatted with him. And I said, this is the problem. You want me to be your pastor and not your pastor. You want me when there's a crisis, but you don't want to listen to anything that I give you advice on. You don't want to be a part of the church. You just want therapy. And Jesus is not in the business of doing that. He is in the business of literally saving souls. Literally people coming and confessing their sins and saying, I have done wrong. I want a changed life. Paul declares this to you. I want you to hear this about what happens at the cross in Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your sins or in your trespasses... God made alive together with Him. Those are to those who believe. Having forgiven us of our trespasses, being canceled or by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demand. Here it is. Your sins, there is a legal demand. They have to be dealt with. And this, He set aside. How did He set it aside? By nailing it to the cross. And in this, there is forgiveness and I want you to know, church, Christianity is not just about forgiveness. I am forgiven. I have confessed my sins to Jesus. His blood sacrifice has cleansed me. I am forgiven and I am also set free from sin. I am given new life in Him. And our culture wants this therapeutic cycle of confession. I feel bad because of the thing I did. I confessed it to Jesus. I am forgiven and I move on. But there is being set free as a Christian. There is this utter cleansing of our very souls. We're cleared from all charges in Christ. And we're in fact forgiven only if you come to Him and confess your sins. You actually have to confess these things to Jesus. In closing, I'm going to ask Jay to come. And as he comes, I want to, as he comes to the platform, I want to get back to a little bit of the story of Barabbas. The guilty criminal. Now history is still silent concerning Barabbas. There's no more mention of him in Scripture. There's no more mention really of him in, in history. We don't know exactly what happened after his release. He could have gone right back out, back into his criminal ways as in the movie I talked about at the beginning. And maybe he did do that. Maybe he was killed and executed and nobody really thought about it after that. Or maybe he did recognize what happened. Maybe he realized as he's standing there on trial... And he looks over and sees Jesus. And obviously anybody would want to be set free. And they, set, they were doing it anyway. They set Barabbas free. And maybe he realized 
that this innocent man took my place. He knows he's guilty. We know that we are guilty and need Christ. And sometimes I'm hopeful, sometimes I'm pessimistic, and I would like to think that when we come to Jesus, it's not just about being let go, being exonerated or these things. There's more to it. Again, we are forgiven. We are to be cleansed of all unrighteousness, born again, made new in Jesus, that we may live in newness of life. Uh, not going back to the old ways, but living forward and, and moving forward with Jesus. And here it is. We all have to make a choice about Jesus. Pilate had to make a choice. The people who shouted crucify him had to make a choice. Barabbas had to make a choice. In church, we have to make a choice. And my prayer is for those who already believe to just thrive in Christ. To know, don't drift, but continue to pursue Jesus and lead other people to Jesus. But to those still on the fence, that you need to get off the fence. You need to say, I want all of Christ. And this is how you do it. You confess Him. Raise your hand if you've heard of the ABCs of the gospel. You admit that you're a sinner. Um, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and you confess. You confess Him. You confess your sins. You confess Him as Lord. Those are the ABCs. Pretty simple, right? So as we close today, we're going to open the altars for a time of prayer. We want you to come, and maybe you need to confess Christ. Uh, maybe there's something you need to confess and make right. Or maybe there's someone you need to be praying for and planning for as we prepare for Easter. But we're going to open the altars. Let's come and pray. Let's confess Him as Lord. Let's come. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you vulnerable. Um, just before you and even with our family. Whatever it may be that's pressing on people's hearts, I pray that, Lord, you deliver them, that you give them peace and help. Lord, to those, again, who are thinking about it, I pray that they believe in you today, that they commit to you. Lord, that you show them the way is better. The way of life is better than the way of death in the world. And Lord, let us be a people that are obedient to you. Lord, I continue to pray for family members and friends and lost loved ones. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Mary leading a class who praying for lost loved ones. That's so meaningful. And we pray that you deliver them, that they believe. We pray for those who have drifted from the family of God and from the faith. Lord, that they return to you. And Lord, today we declare that we return to you, just like Peter did. We may have denied you openly here in the community, but we've returned, we confess you as Lord, and we want to pursue you. And I pray today, Lord, that you fill us fresh and new, that we are alive in you, that we are no longer dead and asleep. We are alive, we are awake, we are part of the family of God, we are part of your mission here on earth. And Lord, that we continue to say yes to you. So what is the next thing that we do? Let us do the next right thing as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Church, if you would stand with us, and some may continue to pray, and that's fine. Um, stand with me. Let's give God glory this morning. I get excited. Um, I, have to, I have to temper myself. I want you guys to know that because I want to run through here and y'all going to be like, he's a crazy Pentecostal person or something. You know? uh, I'm excited about preaching. I'm excited about what God is doing. God is working in such a way that new people are coming to faith, new people are believing in Jesus, and we'll start to see that more as we unite together. You're going to see some other people like, who are they? <laughs> second service people, uh, being, you know, those other people that come that are Christians too in the second service. Uh, be praying as we unite together, as we go back to one service, as we continue the mission of God. And I want you to know, if you do not know, our vision here is to reach Casper for Christ. That is what we're called to do. Amen, church? Go in grace and peace. You are dismissed. God bless you.